For decades, it was a tradition built in rock. Wow. It's the celebration what up, what up, what up? of humanity. Oh my God, it's amazing. The best. It's you free and when you dance to it, get to me The radio. <laughs> to offer. I think, uh, you know, it got to the point where people wanted real music from real people and real songs from real people. Real people. Somewhere along the way, it became just another casualty of financial restraint. And let's be honest, honest. apathy. Now, now, let's do it. Okay, here we go. Let's go. The Mojo Radio Show is bringing it back. Welcome to Rocktober 2016. A 31-day celebration of all things Mojo. From the boardroom to the bedroom. The biggest stars from the stage. Hey guys, this is Malcolm and Joseph from the Decades. Hi, this is Ivor Davies from My Town. To the theatre. Dr. Charlie Teo, welcome to Rocktober. And the big screen. This is Dave Fletcher from Pirate Life Radio. You listen to the Mojo Radio Show. Plus, all the trimmings you'd expect from the rockingest month on the calendar. Stand by. Rocktober starts now. Oh, it feels good. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome to Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. As you can hear, we have put a lot of work into this month. The month of October on our show is Rocktober. And I've got to say, mate, I listen to hundreds upon hundreds of podcasts every week and there will be no podcast in the universe that's ever gone to that much trouble with a promo for their show well done mate thank you very much well we talked about setting impossible challenges last week and that was my impossible challenge i'll be honest with you when i sat down to build something for october was what's never been done in podcasting before i think we can pretty safely say that hasn't oh mate what's what's so cool it takes me back to the days of the m's with tomo and Charlie and Skins and Rusty calling us into the studio and it'd be dark and he'd say, boys, listen to this. <laughs> and, it, and we just get yeah. so pumped going, man, we cannot wait for October to start. Let's rock this thing. And I've got to say, when you sent that promo through, it really is a credit to you and, and to the whole Voodoo Studio team, mate, because, I mean, gee whiz, that's for a little old podcast with two, two Muppets sitting behind a panel <laughs> trying to do the right thing. I mean, it's, it makes it sound awfully good. That's, that's international quality, mate. It does. Well, you know, I suppose that's what we do. That's what we do here. We do do international stuff. We work for stations in London and Singapore and the US. So, you know, we do have that capacity and and every now and then it's nice to show off a little bit, I suppose. So let's just rewind for the folks around the globe who listen to the show who Mm. may not be familiar with Rocktober. So... Many years ago, Robbo. Many years ago, many many years ago, Robbo and I worked together in radio, and we for had a hair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a, every time we came to the month of October, our radio stations would turn themselves inside out to create Rocktober, and it was just a month of 
Music features and interviews and live shows, unplugged segments, lots of gigs, giveaways. It was really unpredictable. But as you heard at the top of the show with our good buddy Lofty Fulton, who voiced that fantastic promo, it's gone missing and mm. Rocktober just isn't on the dial anymore. No. And sadly, everyone's gotten more caught up with other more important things. And we just thought, well... It's probably time for the Mojo Radio Show to bring it back. And we have spent literally months, months and months working on the bits to put into this show. Mm. And uh, I've got to say, mate, right from the gates, it feels good. It does feel good. And we should incidentally send out a big um, hi-ho to Les Gock, who actually wrote that Rocktober jingle that we're using in there. Um, he did that for the Triple M Network years ago. But um, it still kicks ass. And for the classic rock followers... Uh, on the Mojo Radio Show, Les Gock played guitar for what band, Robbo? Uh, Hush. Hush. There we go, mate. <laughs> now, there's a Rocktober flashback I've ever heard one. Absolutely. We might have to slip uh, that in the uh, show somewhere in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> good times. <laughs> good times. Folks, if you, uh, if you like what we're doing here on Rocktober or the Mojo Radio Show, just do us one little favour. Just share it. Just... Find someone that you like, someone you love, a workmate, someone who you feel as though could benefit from the show, or maybe someone who's lost their mojo. Send them a link, get them on board. That's all we ask, because the ultimate thing for our show and Rocktober is to help you feel good. To start the show, folks, we are going to do a bit of Rocktober comedy. Now, Robbo and I are both big fans of Billy Connolly, aren't we, mate? Yeah, he's probably my favourite comedian on the face of the earth. Him or Robin Williams? This is Billy Connolly being interviewed on The Parkinson Show, and he's there with Tom Cruise, and they are there to talk about the movie The Last Samurai. And I just thought it was a great piece of joy to bring to all of our listeners and to the studio on... Rocktober is about making us feel good and nothing makes us feel good than a good laugh. And I think Billy Connolly is the perfect guy to start our show with a bit of a smile. Why bother with stand-up now? I mean, you've you've got a successful career. (laughs) Let me tell you exactly why. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm broke. (laughs) (laughs) No, my wife has just... I mean, hasn't the the, acting overtaken all that now, in a sense? No, I do it because uh, that is basically who I am. I like doing films, and and I I, I like trying to do it well, and it's a joyous thing to do, and it's a completely different discipline. I even like drawing things, I like writing stuff, I like fishing, I like all sorts of gear. But a comedian is what I am. I wanted to do it since I was about 10 or something. I saw Jimmy Logan and guys like that, and I thought, oh my God, I'd love to check Murray, you know. It's vocational. It's, it's kind of vocational. You can't not do it. Yes. You, you know, you just get on. It's not like acting. Yes. Guys want to be actors for all sorts of reasons. I would assume mostly to get laid, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like guitarists, you know. Guitarists do it to get laid. Banjo players do it for other reasons, you know. <laughs> you know, you never hear, oh, she's shagging the banjo player. You know, that's a plum, 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 plum. Hello. Plum, what's your sign? Exit. Goodbye. So, and I... I like life. I think life's good. But, you know, it's just like one of those things. It's so what is thing for you to be able, you know, when, when I... It's just, I mean, working on the set with you, you really give joy to people. I mean, yes. I'm telling you, it, 
the crew and people love you. You just make them laugh, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's also it's, insight. And it's, uh, it's but you you know the, the alternative is so is, is, isn't so good. You know, get around morning yeah. asking for things. Get me, a, I want a giraffe. <laughs> you know, take the air out of the tires in my caravan. I feel too high. <laughs> Blow my nose. Somebody have a piss for me. <laughs> Now you want to talk about people with mojo. Michael Parkinson has to be up there as well, doesn't he? I, I mean, I, I was never, I've never been a big fan of those interview type shows, but I could sit down and watch about a dozen Michael Parkinson interviews back to back. I reckon there's just something about him. I had an interview with Parky after he'd finished. I mean, we call him Parky because he's a very good friend of the very mojo Aussie. radio show. Yeah. Parky, yeah, Parko, the Parkinator, the Parkster. <laughs> hey, but he, um, he, he was asked about reflecting over the thousands of interviews he'd done with the greatest celebrities in our time. What was the commonality? And he said of all the people he interviewed, the one commonality was those people who were the most successful got after it. They were the ones who did the work. They worked hard. They had a work discipline. Mm. And uh, it's so simple, but when you get a guy like Parky who has sat in front of and drawn the best of the best out of the best of the best, Mm. to know that it's just the one thing, the one discipline is getting after it is, uh, yeah, I, I think he's terrific. He's one of the most natural, thought-provoking interviewers we've had, I think, in this day and age. Thoughtful would be the word I would use. Oh, good Some word. of his questions used to blow me away, but there you good go. Word. In life's journey, one needs a life's journal. So the Mojo Show is testing the crowdfunding waters with the Mojo Show Thought-Provoking Journal. So, well, that was a great start to October. That's got me in the mood. Yep. Now, quick update. So, uh, how's it going? It starts today, doesn't it? Is that right? Yeah, it's up today. Uh, too early to tell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had a lot of fun shooting the video. The still photography, to give you an idea of what it's all about, is just beautiful. Yep. Uh, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform for those who may not be familiar with it where if you've got an idea for something, you basically build this page on Kickstarter, you publish it. The people who are interested in backing new, innovative, novel ideas can pledge. And should you get enough pledges and should you make the target you set for yourself on Kickstarter, you then push the green light and you go into production for whatever your product is, whether it be a lunchbox, whether it be a new hive to have your own honey in the backyard, whether it be a journal, whether it be a movie, or it's, it's a myriad of different things. Kickstarter... And platforms like that are going to be much, much bigger into the future, I reckon. Mm. So tell me about getting it up on Kickstarter. Was it a bit massive process or was that fairly easy? Uh, it takes thought. It's not a hard yep. thing to load it all up. I mean, it's a, it's a template you simply fill out. Uh, the tips would be, I would find the Kickstarter campaigns that resonate the most with you. Yep. And I would read through them, look at what they've done. I would write in a tone it sounds like you. I would put a lot of time into producing a little short video, which seems to be one of the biggest tricks to getting funding. 
I would put a lot of thought to make sure your product is killer. But is it hard to do? No, it's a bit fiddly and you've just got to put a lot of thought into what you do. And if you do it properly, you are going to find a lot more opportunities to succeed. Only 50% of all stuff on Kickstarter succeeds. So it's not a just put it up there, bang it out, it's going to happen. You really have to think about who you're targeting, make sure your product's killer, how you're going to portray who you are, what it's really about, why you need funding, what you will do with the funding. Uh, Like anything in life, you take out what you put in, right? by the sounds of things. Look, there are some super, super programs that have been funded on Kickstarter. And I, I've got to say, you know, I'm just hoping that we can get ours up so we can sit alongside them. But uh, some yeah. extraordinary success with, with just cracking ideas where a bank or investors or a board or a company said no. Mm. Well, now anybody sitting in a garage anywhere can go, I'm going to have a crack at this. And if other people around the world who share the same dream get behind it, then suddenly you're in production. And there are guys who were looking to raise, you know, 20 or 30 grand, end up raising 250 grand. Where they wanted to sell 100 units, they're now having to produce 10,000 units and it's put them into a, a whole different ball game of their world and scale. But it can be that good if, to your point, you put the work into it and uh, you get what you put into it. So there you go. So it kicks off today. Um, if anyone's interested, what are they looking for on Kickstarter? So go to kickstarter.com. Put in search Mojo yep. Journal. It's called Mojo, the thought-provoking journal. It will come up. Yep. Down the right-hand side, you'll see all the pledge options. And should someone yep. pledge, they get something in return for it. Everyone who pledges gets something in return for it. So if we get enough pledges, then it goes into production. Uh, and then we're off to the races. There you go. Nice. So uh, we'll be looking for another update next week. Then. We'll do. Now I'm going to show you how to make radio. For this, you'll need high fidelity stereophonic sound. And also a bit of music. And then, of course, mojo, baby. Yeah! There's one I made earlier. It's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Now, this interview's been in the can for, what, four weeks? (laughs) And I've just been busting to play it because it's full of gold. Mate, biggest way to rock Rocktober. (laughs) Absolutely. Let me put everybody in the picture. Uh, We've been going for almost 100 episodes now, and we get a call from The Cave, Caveman Coffee, asking if we were keen to chat to their boss, Tate Fletcher. And when I saw who and what he's about, I just went, hell yeah, (laughs) hell yeah, Yeah. come on. Absolutely. I won't give it away, but we talk about midway through the episode, Tate comes out with this line that I said, mate, there's a new sign for the studio wall. Can I tell you, it actually is a sign on the yeah. studio. Well, it's a post-it note stuck to my screen at the moment to remind me of what he said because it's so cool. So just to put everybody in the picture who may not be familiar with Tate, he's a pirate, entrepreneur, he's a fighter, a black belt, he's an actor, he's a stuntman, but i got to say I've listened to all his shows on the Pirate Life Radio podcast I listened to hundreds of hours of him being interviewed on YouTube and on podcasts. And then having spoken to him on the show, he's just, I'd put in there as part of his resume, just a good bloke. He's had a very colourful background. Uh, Today, as I said, he runs Caveman Coffee Company, an excellent coffee brew house. He owns nightclubs around the US. He's a stuntman in Hollywood. And he's acted with Denzel, Arnie, people like Mark Wahlberg, He's a former UFC MMA fighter, and as I said, he hosts a top podcast called Pirate Life Radio, one of my favourites. And if you really are somebody who wants to get after it and make change, uh, get into that show. It's a beauty. And the other thing I forgot to mention, Robbo, he uh, owns his own microbrewery. As if you forgot. 
Come on. <laughs> Hello to our friends at Nuevo Cerveza. Exactly. Hello hey, there. Hey, hey. Throw a few. Throw us a bone. <laughs> throw us a bone, Tate. So with all that, it's with great pleasure we start Rocktober and welcome Tate Fletcher to the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, mate. Pleasure to be here. So glad I could make it. Yeah, we, uh, we've been really looking forward to this for a number of reasons. You are leading out one of our... I guess our biggest rock star guests for Rocktober here in Australia. The Mojo Radio Show is bringing back a, a session called Rocktober where we have great interviews, interesting people, play a bit of rock, look at the lessons of rock. So you are uh, you're leading us out, mate. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's an honour. <laughs> <laughs> now, for those people who may not be familiar with your story, mate, just describe to me, if somebody says to you, you know, who is Tate Fletcher today? What do you say you do? Wow, I tell them I'm. I tell them I'm jobless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my quick answer: I'm like I'm unemployable and I'm kind of shiftless. I, I don't know anything could change at any time. <laughs> like because so many people give no, they don't care very much one way or another. And so I figured out that's just the easiest way out. And um, boy, and then it, the other aspect is it becomes super pretentious almost in a way or so like. It seems crazy. It seems unbelievable to me, all the stuff that's gone on recently that I've been able to be a part of, and I've been real fortunate with it. So what do I do? I only do things that I love doing. Uh, anything that I don't like doing that doesn't um, turn me on, I'm not doing that thing, or I'm going to mitigate that to the biggest degree that I can. Uh, I run a radio podcast called Pirate Life Radio. I am an owner, um, along with Lacey Mackey and Keith Jardine in Caveman Coffee, which is a single origin, single estate, high grade coffee that's kind of got a consciousness around health and nutrition and people kind of getting their lives back from what the dogma of health from the FDA, which is amidst a a ton of um, bad information in the United States anyway. Um, And so at any rate, those are some of the things I do. And then I, I have some ownership in a few nightclubs around Texas and we're just about to open one in Chicago. Uh, I own a jiu-jitsu studio, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu Santa Fe, and a strongman and CrossFit gym called Undisputed Fitness. And um, 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 oh, and then I, I, own, I, I own a microbrew. I, I, I'm like a half owner in a microbrew uh, called Nuevo Cerveza. And we're just opening a tap room and coffee house kind of internet cafe here in Santa Fe. And then um, I'll, be, I'll be delving into, you know, natural and holistic supplement line with a friend of mine that uh, I've been talking about. He used to sponsor me when I used to fight. I used to fight professional mixed martial arts. And um, he was one of my first sponsors back in like 06 or something like that. And and now he's looked to move out of all the kind of cancer-ridden that is amidst the performance and supplement companies in the world mm. and wants to go into like natural sweeteners, natural flavors, um, and, and things just, you know, I, I only really want to be a part of things that I really use and that have been super helpful to me. And so that, that's kind of the next endeavor. And then I've got one more after that that I want to do by the next year. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty busy and I, I'm looking more for partners and assistants right now than I am for anything else, man. Uh, I, uh, I stay busy. Oh, and I'm writing a book. I've just got a really oh, good really? solid <laughs> on this book. Yeah. And that's been, it's, you know, 
so paying attention to all the details for me has been the, the, the thing that, you know, what, what do I do? I'm the guy that gets the job done. Whatever that is, let's get it done, man. And we'll figure out a way. So when do you find time for yourself in all that, mate? That's all myself. <laughs> what I do, what I do as far as that goes though, I mean, because it's true, you give a lot of yourself and you, you know, you become uh, mitigated in your performance and your function and in your usefulness to those around you. And w- which I think is what, you know, that's the primary purpose. I, I, I should have prefaced that. That's the primary purpose of all the thing. How can I, how can I best serve the community and the loved ones around me? Uh, that, that's what, that's what Tate Fletcher is, is like, how do I become as great and as useful as I can be so that I can be more useful and more of like, uh, either, either a hopefulness or, um, uh, performance aspect in other people's lives for the betterment of my community, which will spread to my city and my state and my country and my world and make the world a better place. Uh, how, how do I, how do I polish myself to that end? And, and I guess that's the, that's the forerunning thought of what, what's in my mind most days. And in order to do that, I do have to regenerate myself a little bit. And so I, I tried to, like I bought, I just bought an infrared sauna and I bought it, um, not cause I ever plan on cutting weight again because no way, but, um, <laughs> uh, I, it's like a quiet place that's outside of any books or articles or any of the notes I have written on my walls that I can get away and I can just meditate 15 minutes in the morning and at night. And, and I just try to reset my mind so that I can be a open vessel for the information that is incumbent that day. And so that I can kind of defrag myself from the day's events at the end of the day and I can sleep well. And I, I try to go to sleep well and I try to be conscious about that because it's like, you know, that laying meditation that you do for six hours or eight hours, however much sleep you get, if you're going to sleep with negative thoughts or with a lot of stress on your mind, you're going to have an elongated period of stress and trouble on your mind while you're asleep subconsciously, I believe. And so I try to control that. You know, I I try to control the aspects of myself so that I can be most useful. We're going to segue through all that stuff because there's so much good stuff in that that I want to ask you about. But I'm just going to go back to something you said a minute ago. And can you share with us the Tatumus Maximus philosophy <laughs> of form, function, and performance? I just have stumbled a lot in my life and, and wished that I had a good answer. Um, I, I'd, I'd always kind of gone to that end of going, oh, well, you know, if, if somebody came and would show me a diagram, I'd be able to follow that diagram, but there's no goddamn diagram for this life that we're living. And so what is that? And so at the baseline of it, what I first started looking at, like, with myself, with my emotional self and intellectual self, I'm like, learn as broadly as possible, right? Read a lot. And I don't care if you're reading Car and Driver magazines. If that's what interests you, read that thing. But become a master of words, of literature. And in that way, you're going to be able to best express yourself. And if you don't have that, you're at a deficit to everybody else in the world, and you're not doing yourself or your community a service. You're, you're, you've become a, a parasite in a way. Like that's a, a, a good argument could be made for that. So be, be broadly educated, I think, is, is one of the biggest things. And so that's what I started looking at doing. And then I started looking at simple, simple stuff like you can think one thought at a time. It can be positive or negative. The more positive thoughts you have, the more positive your life. And the more negative, conversely, the more negative. And so I just start thinking simple stuff like that, like really simple and try to retrain my, my neural patterns towards positivity, towards something like that. And it's still, it's an ongoing practice. You have to become a watcher of your mind. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest things of it. And then I think that you need to have dominion over the four aspects of yourself, over your intellect, your emotions, your physicality, and your spiritual nature. And I think it's always a struggle. And I think that you're always wrestling with those things. But I think that 
too many of us don't even notice that those are things. And, yeah. and if I'm not in the conversation, the conversation doesn't belong to me. And, and what I mean by that is like, we can know a lot about nutrition, but it doesn't mean that we're going to be in good shape or eating well. We just know a lot about the thing. But if we stay in that conversation and we build a community around us that speaks to that idea and to those ideals and standards, well, we're going to have a much easier time gaining that and, and becoming that thing. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it becomes a, a clear cut way. Here's a roadmap to your goals. But first, what are your goals? I, I love this thing. A guy was on my podcast a while ago. Uh, he owns this company, Natural Stacks. And, and, um, and, and he goes, you know what? You know the, the, and I like really pride myself on the etymology of words. I really, I, I get turned on by that. And he says, well, you know where the word coach comes from? And I, I said, no, I had no idea. I'd never thought about it really. And he says, well, it comes from the word stagecoach, an early American word for stagecoach. And, and I go, that's curious. I said, how so? He said, well, you look at what a stagecoach does. It, it picks you up right where you are. And then it takes you to where you want to go. And it's a huge lesson in, in that because oftentimes I'll pick people up where I think that they are without listening and hearing where they are, nor where they're wanting to go. I'm assuming where they want to go. And so a good coach, you've got to have a good listening ear. And so I think it behooves me to uh, step back and ask the right questions so that I can perform with uh, some kind of efficiency to get somebody where they want to go. It hasn't always been like this, Tate, has it? I mean, if I take you back to your early 20s, it's fair to say you were pretty wayward. Yeah. Uh, We're talking bank robberies, being locked up in federal detention centres, drugs, crime. I mean, it was a dark place back then. And then hearing you talk about being a master of words, thinking positive thoughts one at a time, you've made some really significant changes to go from where you were at that time to where you are now. What do you think is probably the most significant change you've made in Tate in that time that's made you the man you are right here today? I, I would say it's a, it's such a significant upheaval that it's a total reorganization of oneself. You, you know, I had to go ahead and I, 22 years old or something, and I, and I had to look at my life starkly and, uh, you know, I'd been given what they call that gift of desperation, where I would listen as only the dying can kind of thing, you know. And, and, mm. and in that, you know, this guy said, you know, the guy that walked in with the desires that you have to clean his life up and to change his life is going to ruin his life again. You've got to be a different man. Mm. And, and that set me back. You know, I didn't really know what that meant. And, and, he, and he went on further to say, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to reorganize yourself, Tate. You're going to have to get into a position where everything that you think is true and everything that you hold fast as truths in this life, I'm going to need you to consider that they're wrong and you're going to maybe have to try some different things. And I just had to be open to that. And so I, there are some great guys around me that really uh, helped me learn how to watch my mind, how to retrain my mind, get, gave me hope that that was a possible thing because I thought this was just the way that I was made. I thought, this is just how I'm going to end up, you know? And, and every time anybody talked about spirituality, it, it seemed as if this ethereal wisp that was just, just outside your fingertips. And I could get an idea of it, but then it would be gone. And mm. these guys gave me real concrete definitions of, of spirituality. And they said, you know, 90% of spiritual life, Tate, is being polite and having manners when you don't feel like it. You push your ego aside and, and you're nice anyway. You know, and, and simple, mm-hmm. simple stuff, man. But 
um, you know, over the years that starts to change me. It starts to alter me. And, and it took hold to some degree. And then I started thinking about like, I, I can't live, you know, I'm, I'm prone to depression and misery given my druthers, you know, and, uh, and I'd love to stoke those. And the guy told me, you know, he says, you're not responsible for the first thought that comes in your head, Tate, but you're responsible for stroking it. You know, I, I looked at that and I would have a feeling and then I would think of that feeling as real. And, and I guess to give a definite or to give a better idea, you know, I, I would always have a feeling of foreboding, like something horrible was about to happen. And that's when things were going good. If things are going good. Yeah, but I can't even enjoy it because I know the other shoe's about to drop. Now, when things are going bad, that's never going to change. It's always going to be this bad or worse. Both of those are lies, you know, but you live in that kind of a space and it changes your emotional outlook for the world. And then you're not useful at all. And the bottom line is I'm thinking about self in both of those instances. All I'm thinking about is me and my little goddamn feelings. And when I could change my mind, they said, one of the easiest spiritual components you have to help your life is to look outside of yourself and to see where you can be useful and helpful to others, Tate where you can sustain another man's existence and you can help them smile and you can help somebody else achieve their dreams. That's where you'll be living. And, and, and that's been, that, that's been true for me, you know? And, and then I found uh jujitsu and I found uh guide jitsu with, with Greg at Jackson's and, and I, and my, my life just altered in that way. I kind of poured it into my team and into making my teammates better and competing. And, and it was the first time that I got outside of my head a little bit so I could live presently. Like I, I remember I was in a stick fight and that was the first real martial arts that I did was working with the dog brothers stick fighting group. And Arlen Sanford is my coach and he took me under his wing. Not, it's hard to find somebody that you can hit with a stick, you know? And so Arlen was like, would you like to fight? And I was like, yeah, dude, I got to get out of my head somehow. And, uh, and so he says, oh, well, come on over. I'll teach you how to swing a stick. And I go, okay, cool. And the first time I ever fought with a stick, I just, it, it became, it all coalesced and it all clicked for me. And it was that flow state that I'd experienced. And I didn't have a verbiage to understand what it was at that time. And it became very clear that if you're not present for every moment that's here right now, you're going to be knocked out. There's a strict consequence that will follow. It's just a law of the universe. And so I, I started to really get lustful about putting myself in situations where the consequences were super high. And in that state, I found a meditative bliss that I could never recreate anywhere else. So, so then I just kind of went on into that life and that, and that started to change me and form me. And when you give yourself to something, that thing, it forms you into the next thing. And so I couldn't say there's a singular event that flipped my life from this to that, but there's this chain. And when I stayed true to the chain, to each link of that chain, well, it allowed me to hook to the next chain and the next link onto it. And I couldn't see where it was going. And that was my idea of faith because I didn't know where it was going, but I just knew what I couldn't have anymore and that it was going away from that. And that was good enough. And so that was kind of my beginning. So you, you speak about people who have influenced you and you wrote about two guys who are counselors some time back and they helped you navigate the future for you. And you said that these two guys were Vietnam vets. They were bikers, hard ass sorts of guys, faces etched with time and wisdom. That's obviously where Mike's strength of mind came from. Where's, where's this backbone for, for Tate Fletcher? Where's it come from? I think a backbone is something you've got to build every day. 
I mean, uh, we're not always strong, right? And so we have pillars around us that help us. And there's a lot of talk about self-made guys and, and people have been uh, thoughtless enough to lump me in that crowd. And I say thoughtless not in a way that denigrates them in any way, but it's just truly without thought because there, I, don't, I don't believe there's a man alive that's a self-made person. And without the folks around me, good and bad and everything informing me of life, of for, informing me of the future by seeing their actions and where they, like everything, I, you know, I just, I wouldn't have the judgment or the discernment to be able to navigate this life and I wouldn't have the strength or the hope to go on with it. And so I, I would say that it's others in a huge way um, that helps me with my backbone. I remember when I first started jiu-jitsu, my first stick fight ever against this guy, it was against this savage, this guy, a killer. They called him Dogzilla. And he was this giant <laughs> marine linebacker that was now a federal penitentiary screw. He was like a, a guard. And, and so that was my first stick fight. And I, I was, it was a little daunting. But the one thing is, is that Arlen believed in me. And I believed in Arlen. Mm. And I go, if he thinks so, then I can. And, and it was the same thing with my teammates. I thought, well, I'd go into these matches and I'd be like nervous. And then I go, what am, what am I going to see magic? I already know everything. I train with the best guys in the world. I'm not going to see anything I haven't seen. And it'll be either I'm better or he's better or he gets lucky or I get lucky. And so uh, I had to, I had to go and do things that I was scared of uh, to build resilience. And, and I had to be relentless about those things. And I guess as far as my backbone goes, I would say that it is more having to do with, I'm not afraid to die. That, that death doesn't hold anything for me except another adventure. Uh, I think, I think there's probably a, a more beautiful, um, experience to wait for us than has ever been written about or than anybody can really fathom. And, and if we're not, maybe we're just dirt. I don't know. But like, I, I, uh, I, either way, we're dead already. We're just decaying from the start. And so you might as well have all the fun you can with it because I've spent enough tears and enough misery and watched enough people buried that we're attracted to their misery. And people either get attracted to joys or misery. And what do you want this existence to be like? I mean, if you've got to go to the gym and spend an hour, it can be miserable or it can be exultant. But you get to choose. And it's the same way, I mean, I was digging a ditch for a while and I was like, you need to be happy about this or you can be salty about it. It's up to you, Tate. But do you want to have that ugly feeling all day long or would you rather have happy feelings all day long? And that was about the same time I started thinking about that you can only think one thought at a time. So a lot of it, like I had to, I had to meet, like for that backbone piece, I had to meet uh, an intellectual curiosity and kind of a fact-based thing with my experience that I was building day to day to day. And I, I think it just comes slowly. And I think that also it, it's, you know, it, not every day is a Doris day, as they say, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and some days you need a little more juice than the next. But uh, I think it's somewhere in there, you know, somewhere around the energies of others around you, of your previous experiences and of your need and desire to get up and get after it because death is tugging at your shirt tails and you better f- move because there's no time. There's so much to be done and there is just no time. And I don't mean that in a way that I mean it in a sense of urgency, but not without playfulness and joy. 
if it's not happy and it's not fun, let's not do it. Let's do something else because we're all dead anyway at the end of this crazy magic trick. And so you might as well have fun on the way there. Hey, guys, I think we've got a new sign for the studio wall. Not every day is a Doris day. No <laughs> good teacher of mine. He said that. He'd say that all the time. And I was like, that is awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing how you put Doris Day into Rocktober, mate. That's yeah. going uh, to be a production challenge, but we can do it. We can build it. Tate, one thing I love about hearing you on Pirate Life Radio, and I've heard a lot of interviews that you've done uh, on YouTube and on podcasts. One thing that strikes me, you've done it during this interview, you talk about conversations you have with yourself and you yeah. talk about, Tate, I need to do this or Tate, you need to think about. Is it your thought that today we perhaps seek too much validation from others apart, as opposed to looking inside and having a discussion with ourselves? Yeah, certainly. I think that, um, I mean, from the beginning, I wanted to push away any responsibility. And I, I often joke that all I need to get by in this life is a good scapegoat. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of the truth. I just, I, I go through the actions. All I need is somebody to blame if it goes south, you know? And, uh, and, you know, and what a meager pussy way that is to go through life. But for a long time, I was like, I don't want to take responsibility for it. And I don't want to have the conversation if it does go south. So that thing about really owning your life, I think, is the hugest thing. I used to, you know, when I was talking about the links of the chain earlier, and, and like if you're 100% committed to those links, they're strong enough to build the next link on. And then you get further down the road and you get further into your function as a human. You become a professional human. And I, I think that that 100% commitment's a huge piece. Like you have to be 100% responsible. If you're not, how could you hope for success? And I started, I, I was on a BJJ podcast a while ago. And then I think I also heard Jocko Willink. He, he's made the line famous, uh, discipline equals freedom. And, and I said a similar thing uh, uh, about a year before that, where I was talking about, you know, the real freedom lies in my full commitment in my full owning all the responsibility because who else is going to own it? This is my life. I'm an autonomous being that is working in the unity of the whole of everybody else. And so it's this, uh, paradox of I'm uh, all autonomous, but I'm all completely responsibility to the hive. You know, like we're, we're all mm. one in this singular purpose. You know, we're, we are this, we are autonomous individuals and we're an autonomous group as well. Uh, the, the singularity piece is, is a double-edged sword in that way. And so I, I think about being hundred percent committed. Like I, I'd take it back to wrestling and I, I'd go, I can teach you distance uh, for like a double leg takedown. And I can teach you to change your level. I can teach you all the mechanics of turning the corner, all that kind of thing. But I can't teach you commitment. I can't teach you to, uh, you know, what, what we would say is, uh, you know, you got to commit to the shot and, and to follow through. And you can't really teach that. You have to feel it and you have to believe beyond your doubts. And it's tough to do that. That's a tough thing to do. But it's also 100% vital. You must do it or you'll never take anybody down, even though you know the conversation. And so I think that thing, you know, in relationships, in businesses, in whatever, if I'm not willing to be 100% committed, what am I even doing there? Why am I there part way? I don't want to live a part way life. And everybody will, will, will scream that, but at the same time, nobody wants to take responsibility. Everybody wants to look to somebody else to blame. And so, you know, a lot of people are looking for attaboys, um, you know, that a boy, you did a great job there and, or, I, you know, whatever. And, 
a lot of people are living that way, but at the end of the day, I have to sleep with me. And so I think it, it, I think it's a normal track that we go through, but at a certain point in your maturity, I certainly didn't want to be one of these assholes that I saw that were like, yeah, I could have done a lot, but my dad really had it in for me. I'm like, dude, you're 64 years old. Maybe you got to <laughs> let it go. You know? and, and it's like, I'd hear stuff like that. I'd hear it all the time. And I was like, that's maybe the most unmanly thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Mental note, don't be like that guy. And, yeah. and that, you know, that when I, when I say that nobody's self-made, it's like that guy informs me of the future as well. That's a choice you can make, Tate, because under this yeah, unity, yeah. you are him and he is you. That's just another, uh, you know, string theory parallel that could be you in another realm. Do you want that? Choose it wisely. And so that whole thing about looking down the road and going, I'm at the end of the day, I'm left holding the bag no matter what. If I know that no matter what, man, I need to be responsible about my choices today. And then I look at my future self and I go, if I steal this now, how does that affect Tate Fletcher next Wednesday? Or if I cheat on my girlfriend here, what does that mean there? Mm. And, and just going through those things and going, why would I buy my future self problems? Why would I buy my future self a pain in the ass? And that's kind of what I'm doing with my actions today. So am I trying to make my future self richer, greater potential, uh, greater service, greater, you know, useful, like all these, or am I trying to make him a little more crippled, a little more unhealthy, a little more overweight, a little more depressed, a little like I'm choosing my future today. And I think that that hundred percent responsibility is a hundred percent key and crucial in that. And if I'm not willing to be committed to my own responsibility to this life, I am an amateur at best. Rocktober gold. It's gold, Gary. <laughs> it's gold in them bare hills. Tate, I I love your podcast, The Pirate Life Radio, and thank you, long time listener, big time fan. <laughs> you do a like a philosophical thing at the start of your show before you get into your guest, and one of those set setups you had for your show, you said that it's about getting over the wall and getting out of our way and that we are our greatest obstacle. If someone listening to this going, you know what, I really dig what this guy's saying. It's time to take responsibility for myself. I get to get over this wall. What's the what's the first step, do you think, for someone to, to get over the wall in your words? I, I don't know. Um, I think it is so individualized. We all have all these. I mean, a lot of that can be either a physical thing, like uh, I need to be discipline. I mean, I need to be disciplined in meditating every day for five minutes in the morning, same time, same place, same lights, same pillow, whatever the thing is. Um, that could be a thing. Or I need to, as soon as the negative chatter starts in my head in the morning, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, thank you for sharing. Now, can we hear from somebody else up there? And I'm going to listen to the voice up there. That's like, what a great day and a good opportunity to be able to go out and do it different than yesterday or whatever, and start list, start deciding that you're going to choose which voice you're going to listen to and which one you're not that's in your head. Because we all have all these things, you know. So, it, you know, it, it depends if somebody's own uh, physical ambitions are impeding them or if somebody's, uh, you know, mental acuity, you know, you're just dulled by the maelstrom mm. of the storm in your mind. You've got to start to address that. It just depends which is which and and uh, and a myriad of other things. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but getting out of our own way, I think the first thing is going, I accept responsibility for where my feet are. I mean, and maybe that's the biggest thing. And whether that's your mind or, or whether, you know, go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. before work 
and you don't do that, I accept responsibility for the shape that I'm in, for the condition my mind is in, for all of that. Like, and once you start going, it's, if you erase can't from your mind, I can't do that, or I can't afford that, or I couldn't get that. If you erase that from your mind, you'll be so much ahead of the game because that's a lie. So stop lying to yourself. That's what I would say, first of all. You've got to stop lying. You can say anything. You can say, I won't do that. I don't feel like doing that. I'm willing to be 100 pounds overweight because I don't like doing that. That's all That's all legitimate. Okay, own it. Own it responsibly. But do not tell me you cannot. Don't tell me it's not available to you because that's bullshit. You're too lazy. Don't blame me. Don't blame your kids. Oh, I would except the kids eat like this. Or Who the f*** is in charge of your kids, dum-dum? Maybe you shouldn't have had kids. You know, like... <laughs> Like all of that stuff, we look for scapegoats everywhere. And if you will erase the can't from your mind, oh, I wish I could get out of this city. Well, is there a fence around the city? What's wrong with you? You're a full-grown human. You can move anywhere. You know, people limit themselves in all the different ways. And I would just listen to the conversations. Just for five minutes is all you need with almost anybody. And you can go, oh, we could dial this in. We could optimize their life pretty easily. But then it goes back to the original question. Are you happy where you are? Because maybe you don't need a coach. You know, maybe you're right where you want to be and you don't want to progress at all because there's people like that. And so I never waste my time on the sick ones that don't want to get better because I'm going somewhere. And if they don't want to, that's cool. But if you don't want to, you're an anchor in my life. And I'm going to love you from across the street because you're going to be an impediment on my growth. I always say it to my guys. I go, listen, if you want to be a doctor and I want to be a lawyer, that's awesome. Neither one is right or wrong. But if we're best friends and we only hang out together, our usefulness and our skill set is going to be much diminished by the time we get to our goals. But if we go, you know what? You want to be a doctor and I want to be a lawyer. I'm going to start hanging out with only lawyers and you're going to only hang out with doctors. Well, you're going to get all the worldview and all the scholastic uh, indulgences of all those different people around you that are going towards the same thing. That's called efficiency. And so you're going to be much better and get there at an expedited rate, right? So it will be better to maybe not be best friends with the lawyer anymore for a while if you want to be the best doctor. And, and, and I think that that becomes a thing of maturity in a way. I, want, I need to be like when I was fighting, my only friends were fighters. Like if you didn't know what the misery of cutting weight was and, and the anticipation of the next battle and the, uh, the anticipation of the next call, who you're going to, if you don't know all the suffering in the gym, I don't have much in common with you. And this is what I'm doing. And so I need to be around that because it's a hard thing to do. And so I'm only around those people. And then when I got into film work, that's equally hard. And it was a real struggle for me to go. I was like, am I a traitor? I'm turning my back on my bros. And it's like, no, I'm just doing this other thing. And like Cowboy and Keith and all the, like I'm still friends with all those guys. It's just um, my attention had to become different because at the end of the day, I ultimately have to be responsible to myself. And if I'm not responsible to myself, then I'm not going to be able to be helpful to anybody else. And so I would say mm. even having kids or whatever, you've got to be 100% responsible to yourself so that you can give the kids the best that you have to give. You can't use that as a, I can't, or the kids are a hindrance. How dare you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't know Absolutely. if that answers your goddamn question at all. I'm, I no, would. you answered the goddamn question perfectly. <laughs> you said to be of service, you have to be fit for service. What does that look like for you today? Like, let's just keep going with that conversation about well, it, it, it the looks, kids. I learned it from a bum. There's this old homeless guy that lived at the Ralph's grocery store by my house on Poinsettia in LA. And he was a, a really 
uh, tall, good-looking, gray-haired gentleman. And he was always clean. And he'd stand outside the door and he'd ask for change, but he did it in such a way. I mean, it's like that thing my mom used to say, you can ask anybody anything, you can tell anybody anything as long as you say it in the right way. Well, that means you need to be thoughtful about your words. Choose them carefully. Well, this guy did, and he wouldn't harangue you on the way in, but on the way out, you'd see him and say, hey, if you could spare anything, and, and i go, sure. And he'd say, you'd ask him how his day was, and he'd be like, oh, it is fantastic. What a beautiful day, and we're living in Southern California. Can you believe it? How great is this? Always upbeat and really happy. Not in snap at that time what it was. The lesson was seeing the other side of it. And I was at the Beverly Center one day, and the guy came up, and he's kind of dragging one leg in some um, – really dramatic, overly dramatic limp and dirty and like barely could reach his little frail hand out at 23 years old or whatever he was and go, could I get a, a dollar? And I'm like, no, I'll kick you in front of the bus. Like, <laughs> yeah, no time for that. You are a draw on energy, on everything. I, I saw, now that guy was a, a fake beggar. He had the idea that I will look as bedraggled as I can and I'm going to go and present myself and then I'll get the most money back. And, I, and, and then I started thinking about myself because I was looking, I was, I was just working for Joe a little bit for Joe Rogan as a bodyguard. And I was always looking for other work and I was fighting. I just was getting ready for a championship fight at the WEC. And I thought I should learn something from this experience. The thing is, is the guy that's happier gets the money. The guy that regardless of the, the, the situation doesn't matter. The external doesn't matter. As long as you're happy about it and you're uh, upbeat and you're nice to be around, that's the guy that they want to pay you. So if you go in, you're like, hey, I'm just looking for a job and anything you could do would be great. That's a way to ask for a job. Another thing is, hey, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I've got some extra time and I'd love to be a part of your group if there's anything like, you know, like that's a whole other way. You want to be around the one guy, you don't the other. And so I started thinking about like, you better present yourself in a way that would you be somebody that you would want to hang out with? And if not, change that shit. And I, I think that that was one of the biggest things is just looking at it in that kind of a way of going, how can I be most useful? I need to become useful. And so the first thing is in my disposition. And then secondarily, I mean, I guess I'll go back. There's a kid that uh, works with us at the warehouse here in Albuquerque um, packing coffee. And he was asking about, you know, what's another way I could get another job or whatever? Like, what's another way I could make some more money if you know anybody else that's looking? And I go, huh, I go, let me think about that. And then I came back to him an hour later because I'm trying to be careful about not giving answers quickly because I, I, I don't know. So I try to like let it sit and meditate on it a little bit and see if something else comes. And, and I went back, I said, you know, I think you're asking me the wrong question, Eric. I think maybe the question is, how can you be more useful? Uh, not where could I get more money? I think that's the wrong question. I think the question is, the more useful I am to the universe, the more the universe has for me to do work-wise. And then I pointed to Moses. I go, Moses is well-dressed, well-kept, speaks Spanish. That makes him more useful right away. That's a bilingual guy. He's more educated. Um, he's neat and well put together, and he's always smiling. I said, and so I kind of start there, dude. And then I got into martial arts and then I started going, well, if you're in better shape, if you look disciplined enough to take care of yourself, people are more attracted to paying you money for that. Now we get into this weird twist of like cosmopolitan taught me to be ashamed of my body because it was meeting an unmeetable goal or all this bullshit that we hear. Right. I don't know if you have that in Australia, but oh yeah, oh, yeah. want to blame a 
magazine for having low self-esteem about being fat? Or how about you stop being fat? Be empowered about your goddamn life and learn an operating manual for this body that we get to go through as a vehicle through this life with. Be responsible to your goddamn self. You're blaming a magazine for being fat. That's bummer. Like, be ashamed of that. Go ahead, because if, I mean, for me, being ashamed of the way that I was living for sure gave me the impetus to change the way I was living. Like, that was the appropriate response emotionally that I was having to being a shitbag. It just was. Mm. And so, so the next thing is, I don't care if it's fair. I don't care if, like, it should be or this or that. Get the shoulds out of your life, too, because that's all a, a nonsense conversation. What is is that people that are more physically fit, that present themselves in a more attractive manner, will make more money and will have more opportunities in the world than those that do not. Those are facts. So if, you're, if you want to leg up in the world, it behooves you to take care of yourself. And so then I would say in all those ways, in disposition, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, all those things, man. Nobody ever hires Tate Fletcher expecting to hear about how my dad wasn't nice to me or about how the bully in third grade beat me up or something. Like, don't bring your old goddamn baggage to new relationships. That's a huge mm. deal. It doesn't matter. It's got no bearing on the conversation unless it can be used to be helpful at some point. But more often than not, we use these things as ways so people can understand our shortcomings. Oh, well, I was late because my husband was yelling at or whatever. Like, we're always looking to blame. We got to cut that out. I mean, it comes around all the time, I think. So I think in order to be useful, the answer is that how do I fit myself to be a service? I become broadly skilled over all these different modal domains that come up in life. You've got your own Mexican beer company, Nuevo Cerveza, which I'm super keen to try. You've got the coffee company. You have been in the cage. You've talked about, you know, your, your, your mates going in the cage and fighting, stick fighting. You are a stuntman in Hollywood. So oh, yeah. you're doing all the stuff that other people don't want to do. You're starting new ventures and continuing on to grow. How does Tate Fletcher face up to fear? Because there's fear involved in stunts that others don't want to do. There's fear involved in, certainly in fighting. There's fear involved in business in all aspects. Yeah. What goes through your own mind or how do you handle that, Tate? I, I just stay scared. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Every asshole with a monster truck wants to be like, um, no fear on the back of their windshield or something. In the meantime, they're 40 pounds overweight, never really tried hard their whole life. Uh, you know, the thing is, is yeah, we're on a rock spinning through space and there's no ceiling on this bitch. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> there's the promo. There's the, there's the, promo. the promo. That's right. Well, yeah, exactly. that, that's the rock type of promo right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that we are amidst madness all over. We just now in America, I don't know if you watched it, but before the, uh, the Republican primary, uh, Cruz and Trump were having a big dick contest, a legitimate big dick contest on stage at the Republican National Convention. This is how they're vying for the presidency of the United States of America. They're going, well, yours probably isn't very big. Look at your little hands. Uh, and I was like, this is on television. They're old men in suits talking about dick size. Unreal. 
I'm like, this is a crazy magic trick. So it's all amidst fear. Everything is all fear-based here. Is Halliburton going to take us to war again? Are the oil, uh, is it going to kill all the fish and we're all going to be mutated? Are we going to have a big radiation spill? Are the Russians going to nuke us? Are the Chinese going to outwork us? Are they like, yes, the answer is yes, they are. They're hungry. But uh, <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, is that, it's it's all it's all around us and the news and undates us in America anyway with it. It's all fear based shit. I just can't care about the fear. But what I what I like doing is I like to do the hard thing every day. And so I like to go and I do the scary, uncomfortable thing. And I think there's a lot of merit in that. Now then, when something really um, scary comes up, you know, it's not so scary. Like all the things, like I'm, I'm like I said, I'm really at peace with death. Like that's the big trump card that everybody uses in religion so that you'll go kill other people that are our brothers and sisters around the world. Well, that's asinine. If I really see that person as one with me, what am I doing? And why am I scared of this? There's no reason, man. There's no fear in that. And if I have to die for my values, I have no problem with that either. But I'm not going to be pushed into a corner or compromised because of fear. It doesn't mean that fear won't be there. But I'm not going to compromise my values for it. And I'm not going to compromise the ability to be of service or to get the job done for it. Those are my values, man. And I'll stand for those in the face of fear or of whatever. And so I think that's the thing is I create a standard for myself. It's not to, the goal is not to live a life without fear. That's the fallacy. Everybody wants to live a life of comfort. And those are pussies. There is no comfort in this life that's worthwhile. Like the comforts are, are, are fleeting. But if you want lasting comfort, that's like, I'll be taken care of and I'm going to be able to live a rad life. You better become addicted to having short, potent uh, instances every day with extreme discomfort and put yourself, because we live in a place where, as Rogan says, it's, it's too easy to get food. People have become pussies. You can yeah, just go to the yeah. grocery store and get food. Nobody has to have, like, it's too simple. Some people need to starve to death. And, and if you're not willing to go out there and get that uncomfortable for it, what, what makes you think that you merit the comfort at the other end of it? Like life is scary, man. When I put my shoes on and I go outside, it is a war. People are trying to take from me or get over or build something before I build it or whatever the thing is. And if it's all a game like this, I need to position myself well. And I don't need to be aggressive or violent or any of those things. But what I need is to be aware. And without awareness, you're going to be short-sighted. And without short-sightedness, while we float down this river of life, you're not going to see the rapids that are coming up. You're not going to see the rocks, all of which would be easily avoidable if you had a little bit of awareness and foresight as to what your position in the world was and where you were headed. Now, we all have the ability to do that, but it's not something that we train or that we teach people to train that muscle. And that's the difference between a boss and somebody just spectating. You've got to be able to see the future. And in that way, you can kind of pull the future into you. And yeah, it's all scary. But when it's all scary, it kind of becomes a, a zero point, a zero sum. It doesn't matter anymore. Okay, life's hard. Get a helmet. Now what? You know what I mean? It's all hard. <laughs> it, it, it's all hard. And once I accept that it's all hard, wow, things become way more palatable. There's another, another sign for the studio wall, Gary. Life's hard. Get a helmet. Get a helmet. <laughs> yep. Tate, um... You, when I asked you before about backbone, you talked about the people around you and something you said before, I'm just curious about you talked the word you used was there's a fellowship in the UFC. You talked about 
Keith, who obviously you're in business with, Cowboy, George, I know you're tight with Joe Rogan. And it's interesting, I hear the same type of thing when I listen to Jocko and Leif or Mark Devine, all these guys who are the Navy SEALs. There's a certain fellowship or brotherhood that's very, very tight and it's very tight chains and seemingly unbreakable. What's that like? And the reason I ask the question is because Robbo um, coaches a, a, a kid's footy a rugby team. And we quite often bring this conversation back to kids and families. It's the same thing in work, but I'm curious, what's the glue or what's the the secret spice that's behind this fellowship that people could take to a rugby team or to their PNC meeting at a school? What What is that secret thing that just gives that fellowship of jiu-jitsu or UFC the seals, and you're probably bringing to your own businesses now. H- how would you describe it? What do we do? Um, I, I first have to put a. a I've got to. I've got to start with a disclaimer, and and it's like when when I hear Tim Kennedy talk about like, well, you guys know it's like this or like that. The stakes are so high for those spec ops guys, and they're watching guys die next to them, and it kind of uh, makes me a little bit ashamed every time anybody talks about the warriors that go inside the cage. Because that's not what it is. The servicemen that are out putting their lives on the line, that are watching their brothers and sisters die next to them or be burned alive or any other atrocity, that's a different thing. Um, so I, I just want to put a distinction there. Like Jocko Willink and, 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 and that ilk, um, and my friends in the SEALs, and I've got family that are SEAL team members. It's a different thing, man. And, um, and I don't know what that's like. For, for me, I would say that if I, and if I dared to guess for them, it would be the commonality of suffering. And suffering brings us together in a way that few things do. And when you're suffering for a common cause that you make to be a just cause in your mind, you get a camaraderie that is unparalleled. A lot of that means you need to be doing the same thing. Like it, it's kind of like uh, Joey Villasenor, he, 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 he'll say things. He, he was one of the original Jackson's team members he came down from Four Corners, and he was one of the trailblazers for the mixed martial arts sport coming out of New Mexico. And he was always he was I always looked at Joey as a coach to me. He was he was really fantastic. But we we're all running sprints up on the up on the mountain, so we're like thirteen thousand feet, and we're running stairs. And then uh, there's a group that's running stairs. The lightweights are like not lightweights, but like the one seventies, one eighty fives, are doing that, and the uh, there's a bunch of heavyweights and light heavyweights. And so we're all up and we're doing buddy carries up these switchbacks. And so it's two different workouts happening simultaneously. We get done doing the buddy carries um, and we come down and we're just waiting because then we all jog out like a three-mile jog. We jog out together. And uh, and guys start cheering on because it's arduous, the sprints they're doing up. The, and, and Joey gets to the top of the steps once he goes, hey, listen, you guys. I got to have you know that I know that you know what suck is. And, but I don't want to hear it from you. I don't want to hear anybody going, come on, dude, you can do it unless you're actually doing it with me right now. And so there's six of us that are running these steps. Those are the only voices and coach that I want to hear. Thank you guys. I know you guys understand and thank you. And I totally got what he was saying. If you're not Mm. in that suffering right now, 
you. It's kind of like why fighters don't hang out with many other people except for fighters because there's a they get something. But I think that 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 bonding that you get when you walk off that mountain together is a is a huge thing. You've overcome a great adversary, whether it's an adversary you've created or whether it's ISIS, and you're doing this thing together and you're you're down for that cause. And I, I think there's a big thing in that. There's also a big thing in I need, you know, me going in and we talked about belief in, in oneself and I go, well, I'm not going to see magic in this tournament. I train with the best guys in the world. That's all true. But also what's true is I have a responsibility to guys that have tried to make me better. And everybody in a room in martial arts is trying to make the other guys better if you're in a healthy environment. Everybody wants you to get better because if you don't get better, they can't get better. And they know that simple truth that all these little rats out running around in the world don't know. Everybody's trying to get their cheese and then hide it from everybody else. Well, in martial arts, in fighting, what we know is that the better that you get, I'll have a better training partner that's going to push me harder into higher realms and I'll get better. We know that it's all win. The better you get, I win too. And so I think when you take that, and and, and I would just extrapolate that to something when we're in a gunfight, I mean, if you're, if you're in a spec ops team, you want that guy to be the very goddamn best, your teammate, because you're not competing against teammates. And that's what teammates understand. Teammates are there to make each other soar higher because it makes the whole, because our goal is the team. Our goal is not self. But if you're one of these guys that's not really a teammate, you're not really a competitor, you're just a guy at the gym. Well, then your competition is your teammates. And then you're looked at, if you're that guy, as a douchebag to everybody in the world. Just so you know. Um, you're just one of those guys. And, and, and that's, those guys never do well. You run a fantastic coffee company called Caveman Coffee. And we've had our coffee here this morning in the studio. It's a top brew. And I saw your partner, Keith, former UFC fighter and your partner in Caveman Coffee with Lacey. Yep. He talks about his brew, which is MCT grass-fed butter blended into this kind of caffeinated fat bomb. That's his. That's the way he drinks it. How do you drink it, mate? How do you take your caveman coffee? I do it different all the time. I love novelty. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like lately I've been doing uh, – I, I just get like mineral water and I love our concentrate because I've been traveling so much on different shows that the – cold brew concentrate. I'll just take bottles with me and then I'll get mineral water wherever I am and I'll just mix it up and I'll just drink the bottle. And, uh, <laughs> and I do that or sometimes I'll, I'll mix the MCT. I'll, I'll, I'll bring a little magic bullet with me in the hotel. I'll mix a little MCT and the cold brew concentrate and then I'll put it in the mineral water. So then I get a lot of healthy fats in me and I get, keep good energy and I can stay in a ketogenic state. Um, doing that in an easier way without any hunger pangs and anything like that. Like this morning I had it and I had, uh, I just went, I, I, I'm lucky enough to be in Santa Fe right now. So I went to the caveman coffee cave, which is downtown here. And I asked our barista, she said, so what do you want? And I go, I don't know, something good, you know? And, she, and I say, I say stuff like that as if I'm actually saying something. And she's like, okay, okay. And, and then they know me enough and they're like, okay, I kind of know what you mean. And uh, so she just starts making stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. What are we going to do? And she's like, gets a little goat butter, which I really love. And then uh, I like salt in it. And salt also has really good properties, especially if you're ketogenic. It helps keep minerals and stuff in because if you're uh, 
not on any carbohydrates, your body doesn't hold water as much. And so a little, it's really important to have good minerals in your body. So I put a little bit of sea salt in it, um, some goat butter, MCT, a little bit of essence of peppermint, which was really nice. And then a pinch of cayenne pepper. And it was goddamn lovely. That's what I had this morning. So how does that, what is, is that, does that end up being like a foamy latte when you put yeah, it in the, exactly, in the, exactly. in the blender? Yeah. The most delicious latte you ever had. And with, with just all full fat, so it's good. It's just all good, sustainable energy. No sugars, um, nothing like that. I use stevia to sweeten it. And uh, a lot of people complain about an aftertaste with stevia, but I really like it uh, w- with a little bit of, uh, with the salt and the goat butter, it just, it takes any aftertaste away. I, I don't notice any of that. It's just great. You've said that you eat in a way that serves your body. How does, how do you normally eat in a day, Tate? Like what's your, what's your normal day of food look like apart from the caveman coffee, which. I had that coffee and then I came back um, home and I have some, uh, this guy, he, he makes uh, these grass-fed jerky sticks. And so it's like a jerky sausage deal, uh, very low sugar and uh, high fat um, and a moderate protein. And so I had a couple of those sticks and then I had a handful of like almonds and macadamia nuts. And then I had a spoonful of coconut butter. And then I ate like probably eight or 10 olives. And then I had three uh, deviled eggs. And that, that's it so far today. But I'll eat like that or like then I'll go work out and then I'll, I'll come back and I'll have uh, – I, I get tuna fish. Like I try to be careful where I get it. I, I've been getting it from Safe Catch lately, this company that is um, whatever, whatever. I, I don't know. We're all we're, The world's on fire anyway. It might not matter where you get your tuna from. I don't know. Um, maybe it's good to have high mercury in your blood, you know, just to get ready for when it happens. Anyway. Um, I, I do that. And then Mark Sisson, he, uh, he's a guy that owns a thing called the primal kitchen and he has stuff that's like just zero sugar condiments. And so like he has a really good chipotle mayo and, and they're all avocado oil based. So they're just really good high fat uh, mayonnaises. And I, I mix that up or he has a balsamic dressing. I mix in the tuna fish and eat that with some cabbage and completely sated. If I go out, which is almost every day, I'll also, uh, I'll just, you know, opt for like a real fatty ribeye or some bacon and eggs or whatever. It's re- it's simple to eat this way. It's just like um, mm. deciding what you're not going to have, you know, against deciding a standard. And, and in that way, I mean, everybody wants to work hard, right, to get a good body. But it sucks to say, man, but hard work doesn't get it. It's the discipline of everything yeah. that you put into your mouth. That That's 90% of your physique. And that's crazy to say, but I've really done it. I mean, I've just been on films where I didn't have time to work out. And agreeably, it was like there's, I mean, it's like you're active on film. It's not like I was sedentary, but I wasn't working out and I was in some of the best shape of my life just because I got super disciplined with my diet. And then my diet also, if I eat high fat, moderate protein, uh, low to zero carbs, I get such a sustained energy. It helps me when I talk about, you know, having dominion over yourself, your intellect, your emotions, your physicality, your spirituality. Your, your food is maybe one of the biggest drugs that most people will ever put in their body. And when you consider that, you better know how macronutrients treat you. And so fat has a real satiating quality to it. Um, the way carbohydrates don't, but they scream for more carbohydrates. And so you're always sluggish. Mm. You go on these emotional roller coasters. When I'm a high fat eater, 
man, I'm mellow through the day. Like I have a good sustained buzz of energy all through the day and I don't have these dips or need to take naps or get grumpy or get hypoglycemic or anything like that. And so for me, it's just been a, and I, and, 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 and to say too, I know people that, uh, are in great shape that like, like Cowboys one, he eats great if he eats a high carbohydrate diet. I'm just, I'm not that way. And, and, you know, and you can see people by how they are in the world who is and who isn't. But, um, you know, the biggest thing for me was just to, to try different things and to eat ketogenically is, is the way that makes most sense uh, for me to be results oriented. I just um, want to reflect on something you just said. And we actually, we mentioned it earlier in the show, but you just repeated it. I remember hearing Jocko Willink, former Navy SEAL, who does probably one of my favorite podcasts. It's just a sensational show. I do all my training with Jocko and Echo in my ears. And one of his favorite sayings that you said before, which has changed my world, I think, since hearing it was discipline equals freedom. And you just talked about the discipline of eating well and the freedom it gives you of energy and clarity of thought. What What is ultimate freedom for you? Like for Tate Fletcher today, as you sit here with all you've got going on, how how would you describe or what is freedom for Tate Fletcher? Freedom is feeling a comfortable satisfaction that I've been useful in the happiness and well-being of others, I think is a, is a huge thing. Being free to be able to make the choices that speak to that kind of vibration is, is, is a huge thing, you know? And then at the same time, you know, I love this old punk rock quote that says, uh, satisfaction is the death of desire. I never want to be fully satisfied. I'm always hungry for more. And what my hungry for more would be, would be in my desires and, and in my desires, like I'm not super happy unless all my friends get free. You know, I, I want everybody to have solvency like that. I want everybody that is around me, you know, why start these companies? You know, like we talked about off the air earlier, we didn't want to have a business. We were starting a movement about nutrition, about people getting off mm-hmm. carbohydrates, about people stop eating the poisons and the dyes and the colorings and the sweeteners that the FDA seems completely fine with telling us that we can go ahead and eat safely, even though we know that they're carcinogenous to the fact that we even put disclaimers on it to the fact that even if you get a Pop-Tart in France, that is not the same Pop-Tart as they sell in America. And Kellogg's has different recipes for different countries because stuff that they can sell freely here in America, other countries will not feed their populations because they know it's poisonous. And so the, the corporate dollar has overtaken the humanity of our country in America to such a high degree that we will openly give our populace cancer just so that those same corporations can pretend to cure and take care of the cancer. They want you to have cancer. And, and that is not a conspiracy theory. There are numbers that meet that out. And you can go ahead and look. And, and so in that way, we wanted a movement that got people free of the f- that was there. That got free of the idea that like somebody, like whether it's the police or the FDA or the president, is going to take care of you. Nobody's taking care of you. It goes back into the, the, the microcosm matches the macrocosm, right? Just like we were talking the microcosm of my own life or of somebody's own life of how they can get over their, themselves. It's the same way in the macrocosm here. And we have to get around and, and you got to pirate your life back. 
you've got to go ahead and take ultimate responsibility, not just for the food, but where you buy your food. You can't be counting on the government or anybody to tell you, oh, this is safe or that's not safe. You better study it yourself. You better use your common sense. If they're telling you it's completely fine to live under high voltage lines and it's safe, probably somebody paid them to tell you that it's safe while you're growing tumors in your body. We already know these things and we just discount them because we get a higher authority that we've gotten some okay from, even though we know that it's not true. And so I think in, in those ways, like that being 100% responsible means everything. You're responsible to everything, to where you get your food, to how you source your food, to who you are in this world. It all fucking matters. Gold, Robbo. Absolute gold. I think it's fair to say, mate. I've taken him through the first couple of rounds. I mean, he's six foot three, he's 240 odd pounds, which for Australians is 120 (laughs) odd kilos. I've danced, I've softened him up. Yeah. I reckon uh, reckon reckon we do a nifty 90. Yeah, I reckon he's ready for it, mate. So if, uh, Tate, if you're up for it, mate, I'm going to hand you over to Robbo for the nifty 90. Up for it? All right. (laughs) I'm excited. Here we go. Here we go. Robbo's Nifty 90. Mate, this is this is the 90 seconds where we get down to the real Tate Fletcher, okay? I feel I feel like right now it's almost like before they go, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> are you really ready? Tate, can I can I just say that um, for the people listening to the podcast, Tate's got his camera on, so I've been sitting here watching him for the whole interview. And can I just say this is the closest I will ever get into stepping into a ring with you, buddy. Oh, really? <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> So listen, mate, the Nifty 90 is a new little segment I've come up with. It's 90 seconds. I'm going to fire a whole bunch of questions at you. I just want one word, two word answers. And you've got 90 okay. seconds to get okay. through as many as many answers as you can, all right? Try to get through as many. All What's right. the record? What's the record we're shooting? What's the record? Well, you've, we've only done it once before. <laughs> we got through 12 yesterday. Okay, I'm ready. All right, here we go. What's your shoe size? 14. Bacon or Oreos? Bacon. The last song you downloaded from iTunes? Wiz Khalifa. Something you need to stop doing? Listening to Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what's the first three things you'd grab if your house was burning down? Oh, my gun, my wallet, uh, and this painting of my mom's behind me. Something you don't want to regret before you die. Not, I'd, I'd like to have the, the admiration of all the men that have been kind enough to help me. What's your favorite sport? MMA. What's your favorite word? Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. You better give us a meaning for that one. <laughs> you better look it up. If I, I, I love this <laughs> nice. I love this one lesson I got that said, if I give you the answers, they're going to be meaningless to you. You got to find your own answers. Love it. What annoys you the most? You might have just answered that question. (laughs) (laughs) The can'ts. I don't like the can'ts in people because they're better than that. Absolutely. What's your favorite vegetable? Broccoli. And there you go. There's your 90 seconds. Fantastic. (laughs) It's interesting, Tate, just to finish this off. I um, remember Jocko Willinks on his podcast saying that when parents are always doting over kids, and as soon as something becomes hard for them, they jump in to help them. And his comment was, if you're helping them, you're hurting them. They have to work it out for themselves. And I love the fact of, you know, what's that word mean? You should go and look it up. I think that's just a great demonstration of taking responsibility and getting it done. And, uh, mate, this has been a, a fantastic interview. I've got to say, I, I so appreciate your time, your wisdom, your sharing, your honesty, your upfront approach to helping people and being of service. It's just been a brilliant, brilliant show for October, mate. Absolutely. Thanks, man. It's been, it's a real honor. I really had a great time and it's great talking to you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. And I just noticed the kangaroo on the sleeve of your shirt too. So you've got to be happy oh, with yeah, that, right? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, so Peter, Peter got me this shirt. Uh, it's the Caveman Coffee Australia edition. Oh, I love it. Oh, right. Yeah. Nice one. 
There you go. Actually, yeah. no, I, I, do ha- I do have one last question for you, Tate, if you've got a second. Yeah, of course, all the time. Word from down under is that you carry your change in a change yeah, purse, so. which is actually a kangaroo scrotum. <laughs> True or what, false? It's not as salty as I thought it would be either. <laughs> <laughs> So shout out to Peter for uh, from Cave Bear Coffee here in Australia, and uh, he's got a special offer for our listeners, which we will hit up after we um, finish with tape. But um, yeah, man, I look forward to getting out, Peter. Peter, uh, I mean, it's just it'd be it'd be awesome, man. I, maybe next year I'll be able to make a trip out there. I get to go to Fiji next month, and uh, that's oh, my nice. big trip this year. So. But I'd love to come see you guys. Go and uh, go, do yourself a favor. Go and watch some of the local rugby union if you if you if you want to see hard hitting. You know, I, I've got some friends I work out with that are rugby guys. Yeah, and then I asked them. That, I said, "Well, what's the difference with the rugby and the soccer?" Like I said, do you guys have like uh, do you guys have hooligans and you guys have guys knife each other at the at the <laughs> games and stuff also? And he goes, "Oh no, no, no." He goes, "The difference is, and there's like a Kiwi guy and there's an Australian guy." And he, he goes, the difference is mainly soccer is a, a, a gentleman's game that's played by hooligans and, and rugby is a hooligans game that's played by gentlemen. Yeah, that's about <laughs> right. Like that. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, dear, mate, it was only about six years ago they took out the rule that you couldn't actually stomp on someone else's back when they're not, so <laughs> it's pretty rugged. <laughs> it is. You know, the thing about coaching too, I'll say, uh, you're talking about the kids and what to take to the kids and all that kind of stuff. And I just I just got off this uh, this little film with uh, Dwayne Johnson, and there's a scene in there where um, well, his 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 double Tunaway Reed is a, a a good friend, and he was showing me his son, who's a you know plays football in Hawaii, and they're they're doing the haka, the yeah, you know, and doing the the whole dance before their before their high school football game. And they were outlawed from doing this because it's high school. They couldn't do it on the field because it was too intimidating. It was like bullying the uh, other team. Are you serious? And yeah, so right. they stopped yeah. them from yeah. doing it, right? Yeah. And so they would do it in in private. And there's a vi- he's got a video of them doing it, and it is so powerful, man. Yeah. It's uh, you know when you look at like the 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 All Blacks. And what, I mean, they've won before the game began. Yeah. Like you can see guys and they're arm in arm, they're trying to be resilient and they're just watching that and they just, they just crumble a little bit, you know, little by little as time goes on. And I think you're incurring the energy of the gods to come into your whole team mm. as a solidified unit towards one common goal. And that's powerful. And, and I think it's important, especially with warriors and, and with these young men that are going out to do this thing in the football field and the whole deal, if you can get their minds generated to a common unified force, that's huge. And I think that having rituals like that are important in that regard. Um, and, and I think that that's what a leader does is he, he incurs that kind of a, a pathway into these, into these guys' mind. And, and that, I think that strengthens that a, a, a huge way. And I bet the odds of, of win and domination go through the roof with it. Mm. But I think something like that, if you did something like that and like, you know, even if it's their own thing or whatever, but you make it a powerful, dark kind of simplistic, um, you know, it's, it seems like a great idea. Eight or nine years ago, Australia was looking for an answer to the Harker. 
So, so their answer was to get like this Australian country singer to come out with his guitar and sing Waltzing Matilda. And it just never stacked up, man. It was like, are yeah. you serious? These guys are here doing this like war dance and you're going to sing a song? All the players had to be going, who is the guy yeah. that who thought of this? <laughs> Bring him down here now. That's right. I mean, great guy. You know, don't get me wrong. The guy who was singing it, like a bit of an, a, a, a real yeah, Australian so legend. So but like, but just so not. Variety though, right? That's it's gotta right. Be the right. Just not the answer to the Harker, man. Come on, let's be honest. Oh, sir. Oh, you could, I mean, I don't know what you could do. You could have a tank roll through the background. I don't know what you could do. Those guys, powerful. Tate, where would you, for people who want to find out more about Tate Fletcher, uh, we'll put the link to Caveman Coffee into the show notes. Uh, we'll put a link into Nuevo Cerveza. Uh, in the show notes, where for people who want to know more about you, hear your stuff, where would you send them? Uh, Pirate Life Radio is a great one. I'm at Pirate Life Radio on Instagram. Uh, PirateLifeRadio.com, I believe, is the website for it. And just uh, you know, you can find stuff. Uh, just Tate Fletcher on Instagram is a is a great way to interact and all that. Um, I'm at Tatumus Maximus on Snapchat, and that's the only departure from that. And that's an old name that, you know, Coach Jackson gave me. So I just have kept that around. Is that a Russell Crowe reference? <laughs> Russell Crowe? Yeah, Maximus from, um, from Gladiator? I don't know. I think probably he was a real fan of that. And also he wanted to call me the dude for a while after, uh, you know, the Big Lebowski. But then, Lebowski, uh, the dude. He's funny, man. His references are so funny. And then, of course, Clay it, Guida became the dude, you know. But I mean, he is that in real life. Well, it's been brilliant, mate. We, uh, we so appreciate your time. You've been very, very uh, giving in your time, your wisdom. So um, we'd love to see you down under, mate. We'd, uh, the Aussies would absolutely love you, Danny. I'd love it, man. I need to put together a comedy routine or something so I can have, I can have a reason to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll hit Peter up. We'll, get a, we'll do a coffee tour, mate. There you go. Or we'll go, we'll go speak at high schools. We'll straighten these kids out. There you go. I'm with that. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Huh? We'll talk again. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Anytime, man. It's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. So I wasn't kidding with what I said. It, it, sitting on my screen now is a sign that says every day is not a Doris day. It's good, isn't it? It's great. I love it. And you know, if you look at his stuff on Instagram and stuff, he is he's fit, he's healthy, he's cut, he's doing great stuff, he's mm. progressive, he really is a true entrepreneur in every sense. But mm. at the same time, the whole thing is about his service. And I, yeah. uh, I rate this guy. I think uh, we could learn a lot from a guy who's had such a colourful background and now is really out to help and serve. And one of the things he said, we hung up from the from the interview with him, he said, boys, whenever I could be of more service, please let me know I'm there. And I went, man, that's just for a celebrity like that, that's yeah, pretty cool. Absolutely. That's way out there, isn't it? That's really nice. So um, a long interview, guys, but if you didn't get about four or five pages of notes out of that like I did, then uh, you should go back and have another listen. <laughs> so just to finish this off very quickly on this little segment, mm-hmm. uh, we've got our first ever special offer for our listeners. A special offer for the listeners. As Bruce McAvaney, <laughs> our famous commentary legend would say, it's special. special. So uh, if you are interested in getting into the Caveman Coffee kit, it's fantastic. I yeah. mean, the whole lot, the, the T-shirts, the caps, the MCT oil, I'm a massive fan of. Uh, they've got this cold, this cold brew that you make on ice with coconut cream. and It's just fantastic. So... 
If you are interested, people who listen to the Mojo Radio Show, you go to Caveman Coffee Co. So cavemancoffeeco.com.au. Put in the discount code Gary at checkout, and they'll give you ten percent off your total order. How so cool is that? So why did they use your name? Yeah, funny that. What's eh? going on there? <laughs> Robo's easier to spell. So there you go. <laughs> CavemanCoffeeCo.com.au. Put in Gary at checkout. They'll take some money off your swag and you're yep. all set. And it is top brew. The MCT oil is fantastic. I love it. Absolutely. And, uh, well, the coffee itself, whoa, I've just finished my second one this morning. So there you go. On the Mojo Radio Show, it's Rocktober. Hey guys, this is Malcolm and Joseph from Death Beach. Hi, this is Ivor Davies from My South, and it's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Now, I don't think any Rocktober event would be complete without a little Pearl Jam. I don't think anything's complete without a little Pearl Jam, is it? <laughs> I found this interesting piece on uh, on YouTube, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's... Cameron Crowe, the famous film director, talking about making the film with the band. And it's Eddie Vedder talking about songwriting and how songwriting really is a reflection of ourselves. We're going to play the interview so you can hear it, folks, but what I'd suggest you do is just listen to it and think in terms of your own world, your business, the work, the company you've dreamt of setting up, or the people you have to deal with on a daily basis from a board, marketing team, management team customers. Just think about this. And I think there's some great lessons in this, not only for music and rock and roll, but also for us in life and business. Here's Eddie. It kept coming to the surface. We would try different versions of the movie, but really just the journey of finding your your way creatively and following instincts that in the day might seem odd, but in the long period of time make total sense. That story just kept coming back again and again and again. It's kind of an unlikely group of people to be playing together. It takes a lot of stubbornness. I think you really have to, one, decide that it's worth sticking it out. And I think probably all of us had our favorite bands that we grew up um, listening to that either couldn't last or broke up or, or, uh, or sort of in the end sort of fell flat. You know, actually, what's interesting now is like songs 20 years ago, the lines that are, you know, were written when, you know, we were young and naive, they, they have a different meaning now. And, and in some ways, it, it's, it's a reminder of, of how, how pure of spirit you were. And, and if you're constantly reminding yourself, then you actually are able to maintain a lot of that. You know, a lot of what songwriting is, I think, is kind of writing messages to yourself. I love that song. Can I just tell you, that's probably one of my top ten favourite rock songs of all time. Oh, it's a cracker. <laughs> How must it feel, though, to be in front of, like, 60,000 people, you start your song, and then the audience is almost louder than you are through the PA, and they're just bellowing. And I love the fact that he talks about that the lyrics back then when he wrote them and sang them today can have a different interpretation when you're standing on stage. And I yeah. just... There's so much to this. He's a very, very interesting dude, Eddie Vedder. He's one of those songwriters, you know, a bit like, um, like lyrically, he's like Bernie Taupin, those sort of guys that just write lyric that just make you stop and think. 
You know, there's not many of them out there. There's plenty of great lyricists, but there's not many that actually make you stop in your tracks and and go, wow, that's pretty deep. But he writes a lot of his songs on a mandolin. He writes a lot of his lyrics on a typewriter. I mean, the guy's just quirky and different. He just doesn't, he's got a, he's got a fireman's pole in his house. He just slides from room to room in a fireman's pole. And he's got little rooms that he couldn't stand up in. He just sits in, but that's his little writing corner, his writing nook. He's just, he's such an interesting cat. Yeah, clever, huh? All right. Now, I want to go back quickly to last week's show because Carolyn Adams-Miller, we've interviewed her twice and both times she's inspired me to change things in my life. I was sitting in front of the television last week after the show went out and I was watching a show called The Project and they were talking to a guy called Curtis McGrath. Now, Curtis has just come back from the Paralympics. He was on the Australian Paralympic rowing team. Prior to that, he was a soldier in the Australian Army and lost both his legs in an incident in Iraq while he was serving over there. Now, the thing that inspired me about this is he talks about everything we talked about with Caroline, about setting impossible goals, overcoming adversity, all the things that she talked about in the last those two interviews are encompassed in this. And I just wanted to play it to you because I think it just sums up the mental attitude that is involved in, tr- in obtaining true grit. Just have a quick listen to this. I was searching an unoccupied police, police checkpoint and uh, I stepped on a landmine um, and it took, took off my legs. I was still conscious through the whole ordeal um, and I knew the extent of my injuries. Uh, my legs were n- not coming back. And um, as the boys were carrying me to the landing zone uh, where um, the helicopter would come and pick me up, I said to them, you guys will see him in the Paralympics. And uh, that's sort of been a, a really, you know, a big motivator to, to, to get there firstly. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, a sense of healing, you could say. So I reckon there's not much in there that Caroline didn't talk about last week, right? No, not said. Powerful. October remembers. Gone but not forgotten. So from a guy who was feeling intense pain to a guy who was probably feeling no pain. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's funny when you're working uh, in workshops or sessions anywhere in the world, there's one style of music you can play that pretty much nobody dislikes, and that's reggae. Mm-hmm. Generally, you play any sort of music, there's someone in the room you alienate, but when you yeah. play reggae, it doesn't matter how old they are, Everybody just goes, yeah, man. Yeah. It's just cool. Yeah. And this is a new segment we're running for Rocktober. And it's called Gone But Not Forgotten. And the reason is that we all, when someone, when we lose somebody, we celebrate their life. And for a week, they're all over the media. We're talking about it. They're foremost in our thoughts. But what Rob and I were talking about is, well, what, what happens to them then? Like, it's they have this this week of celebration, and then suddenly they go into the ether again, and they're just another one of the greats that we lost. And yep. we just thought during October we'd bring some of our favourites back and just recount some of those great people in whatever industry they're in for what they did and how they had their mojo working. And we're going to close with Bob Marley who was, you know, undoubtedly the king of reggae. And he had a lovely saying that said, money is numbers and numbers never end. If it takes money to be happy, your search for happiness will never end. So we're going to finish with a bit of Marley live at the Stanley Theatre to take out week one of Rocktober. Big first week, Robbo. Big first week and, what, four more to come. Looking forward to it. Four more to come, and for this first edition, we're out.
backyard in Trenchtown. Opa, opa, serving the hypocrites as they would mingle with the good people we
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time. <laughs>